Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name's Paul McGough. I'm a partner in the healthcare regulatory team. And this edition uh, focuses on the CQC's recent report on DNA CPR decision-making. I'll be talking today to Gemma Gilson. Hello, as Paul said, I'm Gemma Gilson and I'm a senior associate also in the healthcare regulatory team at DAC Beechcroft. So the context to all of this is in October 2020, the Department for Health and Social Care commissioned the CQC to conduct a review of DNA CPR decisions taken during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, And when we say DNA CPR, of course, we mean decisions not to attempt cardiopulmonary resuscitation. At the beginning of the pandemic, you may remember, and it was in the news, um, that there were concerns that DNA CPR decisions were being made without involving people or their families, and were being applied to groups of people rather than uh, specifically to individuals taking into account individual circumstances. So in other words, blanket DNA CPR decisions were being made. There were particular concerns that this was affecting people with a learning disability and older people. Now, concerns around DNA CPR decisions are not new, of course. So even before the outbreak of COVID-19 and going back some years, there have been concerns about certain aspects of DNA CPR decision making. So in particular, when it comes to consultations with patients themselves uh, and with their families in advance of these decisions being taken, and there have been some notable cases um, heard about these issues. But the pandemic had sharpened the focus, and so um, the CQC was commissioned to look at a number of things. The CQC was looking at how DNA CPR decisions were being made on the ground, particularly in the context of advanced care planning, Uh, And that's across all types of um, health and care uh, providers, uh, including care homes in primary care and in hospitals. Uh, And the CQC was also looking at the existing guidance on DNA CPR and how it was being implemented in practice. That's what they were commissioned to do. And the result is this report, which is formally titled Protect, Respect, Connect, Decisions About Living and Dying Well During COVID-19. Uh, It was issued in March 2021, so it's very new. Uh, And Gemma, can you summarise the findings of the report? Of course. So the report categorises its findings and recommendations into three key areas. And uh, I'll just summarise those each very briefly for you. So the first one is information training and support. Uh, So the report highlights that patients and families had very varied experiences when it came to decision-making about DNA CPR. And that was very often inextricably linked to the quality of information available and the time that individuals had to process the information fully and the ability uh, to talk it over with suitably informed members of staff. As Paul has already said, there were particular concerns around particular equality groups Um, those who might have needed additional support to have those meaningful discussions, uh, whether it be alternatives to the literature that was provided, um, interpreters, for example, or just the adjustments that um, particular patient groups might reasonably need to ensure that they can be involved in their own care. So thinking about the recommendations to address this particular issue, uh, it's a renewed focus on person-centred planning. 
including those reasonable adjustments to make sure that any communication barriers are removed, making sure that everybody has equal and non-discriminatory personal support around the decision making, and also having clear and consistent training standards, guidance and tools for the workforce so that the professionals involved in this decision making have the right skills and confidence uh, when dealing with patients and their families. So the second area that the report focuses on is achieving a consistent national approach to advanced care planning. There is no standardised model or framework for decision making currently, and the report highlights that this contributes to some of the inconsistencies that were seen in, in approach and also the inconsistencies in patient and carer experience. So thinking about a resolution to this issue, the recommendation focuses around establishing a national unified approach to policy, including you know, complete review of the guidance and tools that are provided um, to, to the workforce. And alongside that sits a very important recommendation around improving public awareness of advanced care planning, uh, perhaps through a national campaign. So the third and final area that the report focuses on is improved oversight and assurance. Um, this recommendation in particular is described as urgent uh, in the report, and it's about providers and commissioners looking at the record keeping and oversight and reviewing of DNA CPR decisions, the training that staff receive, uh, and making sure that standards are kept at a high level and also that there is a high standard of monitoring uh, to make sure that providers and commissioners can spot where there are potential difficulties and step in to make changes where needed. I think quite fundamentally in this section of the report the role of the CQC itself is highlighted in terms of their ongoing monitoring and inspection of services uh, and we can definitely assume that they're going to be looking at advanced care planning very carefully when it comes to future inspections. So the recommendation around this is for a national framework to be established including guidance, uh, decision-making tools to come from, uh, from, from the centre as it were so that we have that consistency on a national level and hopefully iron out some of the problems that were found when the CQC looked at this in detail. So going hand in hand with that is to use this as an opportunity to increase the public awareness of advanced care planning and particularly decision making around whether or not CPR is going to be attempted. And we've seen this before when it comes to difficult healthcare decisions. And the most obvious example um, prior to England joining an opt out system relatively recently um, is with organ donation. So it had proven to be most effective for the public to have a general awareness about what to expect and what the process will look like so that when they are in a very high stressful, highly stressful situation with lots of emotion, with a very unwell relative potentially, hearing for the first time about DNA CPR is not ideal because you know, your, your attention's elsewhere, um, you're focused on 
on on your sick relative and it just doesn't feel like a good time to start having these conversations. So increasing public awareness, encouraging these discussions to um, take place well in advance of an emergency situation arising is is how the report suggests that um, the, the issue with consistency is, is potentially going to be resolved. So it might be in the future that um, organisations will need to adapt, retrain uh, when it comes to implementing this um, this this national um, set of of guidance. If if that's what uh, the Department of Health decides that it's going to do, but that doesn't mean, of course, that we can just leave things as they are in the meantime. And I think it's very important that we look at one of the recommendations from the report around effective training. Uh, And that, of course, at the moment has to be training in the processes and systems that are available at the moment, rather than waiting for anything to change in that respect. So I think it's worth um, highlighting that the report acknowledges the the intense pressures that um, providers have been facing throughout the pandemic and that um, training has perhaps not always been at the forefront uh, and very rightly so when resources and personnel have had to be um, on the front line you know just given the the landscape that we've had over the last 12 or so months. I think though it's probably just worth bearing in mind that with inspections recommencing the CQC coming into um, into hospitals etc and care homes you know they, they are going to be looking at this and it's probably a good time to start looking at training um, seeing if staff can be released to uh, you know attend update training sessions or or have that time allocated to, to think again about this particular issue the benefit of course of high quality training is that staff are more able to engage with people in a meaningful way when it comes to discussing DNA CPR decisions and the report also highlights that staff who are armed with sufficient knowledge then are also empowered to challenge decisions where they can see that you know there might have been a change in a person's presentation or the decision making might not have been done in the correct way in the first place and if if a member of staff is sufficiently knowledgeable about the DNA CPR process the report suggests that they will be more confident in challenging situations where it perhaps hasn't been done correctly I think Paul's going to come on to talk about oversight more broadly a bit later on, but it is worth highlighting at this stage that this the report specifically refers to oversight of training in terms of organisations being assured that training is being delivered, that there is adequate staff take up of the training, that that training has been evaluated and that you can actually see the benefits of the training and the learning being implemented in day-to-day care. Um, So moving on to the the last sort of focus area that that I'm going to talk about for now, and and it's an age-old problem that we see when looking at healthcare scenarios from a legal context, and that is even where really good conversations have been happening around DNA CPR decisions. Unfortunately, that doesn't always translate to the medical records. 
So the report highlights that there were several issues with documentation being found on their reviews and therefore even if uh, clinicians have been having really robust and helpful sensitive conversations with patients and their families that hasn't always been captured in the patient record and not only that but compliance rates in terms of record keeping appeared to diminish even further when looking for any sort of record that a DNA CPR decision has been reviewed by a senior clinician or by the leadership team within a provider. And it's unfortunate, isn't it, that um, when you know as an individual staff member that you've had a particular conversation and you are later challenged on the quality of that conversation, where the written record hasn't been updated sufficiently well, we all know, of course, that that is the first place the CQC and others will look when investigating any sort of suggestion that the proper processes haven't been followed. So if you're doing a good job of decision making, brilliant, just make sure that that's being adequately recorded so that it's captured for the purposes of anybody looking at the decision making process in the future. Paul, I I briefly mentioned oversight from a a training aspect, but I think you're going to talk to us more broadly about that particular recommendation in the report. Absolutely. Um, So there's a big emphasis in the report on monitoring and assurance. So it's not only about getting this stuff right, but also checking that you're getting it right and learning from any mistakes. Uh, And the report does identify, as, uh, as you've said, Gemma, an urgent need for improvements in assurance across providers and commissioners. Now, there are some uh, recommendations in the report for improved monitoring and assurance, um, both within organisations themselves, also regionally and nationally. They will be quite challenging to implement in practice. Uh, But just in summary, they are the following. So first of all, for providers, um, there is a real need for internal audit, specifically of DNA CPR decision making. Uh, and that's identified clearly in this report. That's a question of scrutinising documented decisions for quality. Gemma's already emphasised the uh, the need for proper documentation. Uh, it's about creating then a cycle of assurance, learning and improvement, uh, and a more robust data set that can drive evaluation uh, and insight and learning to improve the practice on the ground and also the patient experience and there's a need to understand what the patient experience is so that's something else that needs to be looked at on a rolling basis linked to that is oversight of training and support for staff which Gemma's has just touched upon to ensure that it is effective and it's resulting in real improvements in approach on the ground um, there's a broader cultural element in terms of uh, ensuring that people uh, in organizations feel able to speak up when they see poor practice, when they're able to identify it uh, and also raise that with uh, those above them in the organization to make sure that there is a culture of uh, improvement, um, which doesn't result in um, any criticism of individuals who speak up and drives up quality across the board. And there is um, uh, uh, the CQC have identified the National Guardian's office who are charged with the uh, freedom to speak up agenda uh, we're taking the lead on that um, and providers have to follow guidance from the National Guardian's office. The results of all of this should not just be held internally. So when an organisation is looking at its own practice, it should uh, take lessons from that, but also share um, the results of those exercises across local systems to reinforce learning 
and improve quality across the board. So that means creating networks where they don't exist already to facilitate collaboration and the sharing of information. And the data produced by all of this should um, the CQC recommends be used as the basis for commissioners then to monitor and assure themselves of the quality of DNA CPR decisions across their providers that they're responsible for. So currently that could be CCGs, but the report specifically identifies integra integrated care systems uh, as playing this role in future once CCGs have merged in April 2022. There's also, of course, as you might expect, and Gem has touched upon it, a role for the CQC in inspecting um, all of these matters um, and reporting and incorporating it into the framework uh, for rating organisations. So they will be seeking assurance when they inspect providers that people are at the centre of personalised high quality and safe experiences when it comes to DNA CPR. Um, and that will uh, feature in their approach to uh, inspection. Finally, um, there is uh, a role for, well, as the CQC says, there is an urgent need to set up a ministerial oversight group. So this is uh, within government then. Uh, on a national level to look at the issues coming out of this report uh, and to take them forward uh, whatever way may then be deemed appropriate which may be through legislation or through further guidance. Um, what should result from all of this is a whole regional and national ecosystem focused upon governance specifically of DNA CPR to drive understanding and improvement and the idea is to bring this issue higher up the agenda at a whole system level. Uh, and clearly that will be challenging for the whole of the sector. So that's a summary of uh, what the CQC has to say about oversight. Um, Gemma, what are the next steps that, as you see them for? So Paul, if we go back to the status of the report, it, as you said at the beginning, it was commissioned uh, by the Department of Health and Social Care. And I suppose what the immediate next step is, is, is to await their response. Um, a number of the key recommendations are to be taken forward on a national level if, if the government decides that that's what it's going to follow. And of course, we don't have any idea of, of timescales um, for, for all of this. I, I think, though, for providers, what we've got to be very switched on to is, is the fact that the CQC are going to have this issue at the forefront of their minds when they carry out their visits um, in, in the very near future. So, I was very, uh, I suppose, taken by the, the language in the report around the consequences of getting DNA CPR wrong. Uh, and, and when you read the detail of the report, there are repeated references to human rights app breaches, equality app breaches, and, and a risk of unsafe care or treatment, which of course mirrors the wording of Regulation 12, if you think about the, the 2014 regulations. So, I think it's a, a call to providers, even whilst awaiting anything further from the government, to make sure your house is in order, look at the training materials, training records for staff attendance, what are the governance procedures you've got in place at the moment, um, how aware are you as an organisation of what's happening on the front line when it comes to this sort of decision making? And these are steps that can be taken whilst we wait and see what happens next in, in formal response to this report. Um, Paul, you've already mentioned the integrated care systems, and it was notable that they were allocated a number of recommendations in the report. Do you see this as 
sort of a key for the direction of travel in in the future? Uh, Very much so. And of course, CCGs are due to merge to become the new statutory integrated care systems in April 2022. So we don't quite know what form any any further recommendations for change are going to take. We have the CQC's report. We don't know what's going to come uh, subsequently from the Department of Health and Social Care. But I think we probably have to expect, or certainly ICSs will have to expect, that this will be on their agenda, uh, possibly from quite early in their existence, so from April 2022 onwards, which means that this really has to be on the agenda now at those CCGs who will be merging to form the new ICSs to prepare for the new landscape. So I think this is something that they're going to have to be thinking about. It's difficult to know precisely how to take it forward at an ICS level, but it's very much a watch this space situation. And it's well worth noting as well that we understand the CQC will be charged with rating the new ICSs once they've been created by statute. So this will be likely to form part of the new ratings framework for ICSs themselves. That's all for this edition of Lawcast. You can listen to more editions of Lawcast at our website, dacbeachcroft.com forward slash Lawcast. Thank you for listening.